What is up, everybody? Welcome to Locked on Vikings. I'm your host. I'm your pal. I'm the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. Really excited to be here. we got a cool show lined up for you today. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find me, the host, on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. And let's get right into it. Still not a lot of Vikings news to talk about uh, on this, the last show of the week. Hopefully, over the weekend, some more interesting stuff will happen. We'll see the Pro Bowl. We're not really going to talk about the Pro Bowl or like preview it or anything like whatever they play dodgeball it's just fun but hopefully as the senior bowl goes down where a lot of coaches are all in the same hotel and in the same stadium all the time sometimes we see a lot of coaching news kind of go down at uh at that event so hopefully we'll see a little bit of news and we can talk about all that stuff on monday we know that uh today the qb annual for pro football focus came out it's really an awesome uh quarterback resource you should go check it out unfortunately i am recording this before It is Thursday. I'm recording this on Wednesday night, so I can't talk about it yet, but we will talk about it on Monday, and we're going to have a a very special guest, so get hyped for that. But for most of today's episode, we are going to turn toward the defense, and we're going to break down the run defense. I asked you guys uh, on Wednesday today what you wanted to see. The overwhelming response was uh, to talk about the run defense. The only thing we have left to talk about is the pass rush, and then we'll probably do a special teams one eventually as well. Uh, But the Run defense was the overwhelming favorite, so we're going to talk about that. We have a little bit of around the league stuff that I want to talk about first uh, and some other housekeeping things, but for most of today's episode, we are going to talk run defense. But in the interest of all of that news and housekeeping, I think the biggest story of the day around the Vikings world is still a lot of people are just kind of like laughing and, and you know, posting memes about the Saints, and that's okay. Uh, but the biggest kind of news on that front is that Saints fans and specifically this like one lawyer has filed a lawsuit basically trying to make the NF to force the NFL to bring the Rams back to New Orleans and to play the final minutes again because of how like illegitimate it was and uh, we we saw there was a TMZ video with Anthony Barr so I guess this is Vikings news now Uh, but Anthony Barr was like in the airport talking you know being asked about it and he basically said eh take your L and go home it happens all the time and most of the players that have been asked about this except for the Saints players themselves are saying like listen calls get blown all the time we've all been there like you aren't special and I think there's a little bit of truth to that right like refs have a very hard job and it's part of the reason why I support a little bit more flexibility in terms of reviewing penalties and I think you can do that without like slowing the game down I think there's like a way to do that so I, I definitely feel sympathetic toward referees when they make calls like that because their job is really hard right they are not seeing the bird's eye view that we're seeing they don't get all the tv angles they have to make real calls in real time with sometimes not the best view of things and short of putting you know double the amount of refs out there I don't really know what like easy solution there is to that but I think Anthony Barr and the rest of the players are right take your L go home lick your wounds try again you had a good season and even though like yes you should have won that game and the refs cost you that game nobody disputes that I think what people dispute is that that is not abnormal that is just a a thing about the NFL that sucks and something that there's not really a great solution for. But maybe something will come of this, even if it if, if it isn't the Rams going to play the two minutes of the NFC Championship game again, which would be really funny to see, like, any sort of momentum on that. I don't think it's going to happen. It honestly sounds like a little bit of a cash grab to me. But that's all my opinion, uh, and, and 
if anything funny happens, you know, obviously we'll talk about it. Elsewhere around the league, the only reason I bring this up, uh, this is something that happened a couple days ago, uh, is because it could be relevant to the Vikings in, I don't know, a couple months, is that Cole Beasley ha- uh, came out on social media and essentially slammed the, the Cowboys coaching staff and said, you know, the owner decides where the ball goes. And that's, you know, like a, kind of a slam on Jerry Jones and saying like, you know, he basically accusing the team of keeping the ball away from Cole Beasley and and citing that, you know, oh, he gets in two minute drills, he gets the ball more because it's more improvisational and they can't control it as well. And it really seemed like he's unhappy in Dallas and maybe there's a, a bitter divorce coming. And the reason I bring this up is because he would be an excellent addition to the Vikings. You know, when, when players come out of a team with like that kind of bitterness it very often tanks their value because NFL teams are, there's a camaraderie between them. And, you know, when, when you kind of like shirk one team, the rest of the teams are going to now see you as, oh, maybe you're a risk, you know, maybe you're a, you're, it's a red flag, maybe you're a diva, right? Like we'll see like a trade value really get tanked for that kind of thing or a free agent value really get tanked for that kind of thing. Like I think, you know, guys like Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell are going to make less money than they would have if they just became standard free agents, like maybe what is going to happen to like a Latavius Murray, for example, which means that as a Vikings fan, there could be a Cole Beasley available, and that Cole Beasley could have a much lower market than his actual value, which would make it an efficient move. And by the way, the Vikings need a kind of supplementary wide receiver to help out Diggs and Thielen. You know, as good as Aldrick Robinson is on those deep routes and as efficient as he was in terms of like touchdowns and targets and stuff, he's kind of only that one trick pony. And everybody else on the roster is either like Zilstra or BB. They're deep roster guys, good depth, but deep roster guys. And Treadwell, who you can't really rely on for anything. I think wide receiver and, and like, or I guess just call it like generically skill player, you know, gadget player, like a guy like a Cordero Patterson mold, except somebody that's maybe a little bit more reliable as a receiver uh, is a need. And Cole Beasley would fit that very well. And I think the price could be right, even though he has a very good reputation, just because of the situation in Dallas and how things are going down there. So last thing before we get into the run defense deep dive is uh, I did on Twitter a little pain bracket. Uh, This should just be a fun thing to kill time while, you know, February, the like throes of February wear on where there's no real news and teams aren't allowed to talk to players about free agency and nothing's really going on. We can pass the time with a little fun game where we take all the the bad things that have happened to the Vikings, or some of the bad things that have happened to the Vikings. I had to narrow it down pretty significantly. Uh, and vote on which thing hurts more to think about. So go check that out on my Twitter page. There is a play-in round, because I actually couldn't narrow it down to 16. I had to go to 18, and there's four things, and the top two will make it into the bracket. So go vote on that. It is on uh, my Twitter page and at LukeBronNFL, and uh, we'll talk about it on the show as as it progresses. We'll talk about all the things, talk about the history of it all. Uh, But yeah, go vote. And with that, that's going to kind of close out the news and updates start of this. And we will talk about run defense on the other side of the ad break. So I'll see you all in a minute. All right, we are back. So let's talk about run defense. Now, I've, I've kind of bashed the run game a bunch on this podcast. And, and I, I have also kind of tried to clarify that, you know, I think there's a way to use the run game that is successful. And I think some teams do it and some teams don't. I think the teams that do it are the ones that we've been watching for the last month. And the teams that don't are the ones that we've already forgotten about. Uh, but I think that defending against the run is also part of that equation, right? Like if you allow a team to run on you and be successful more than half the time, then you are allowing that team to have an advantage that's really hard for you to match because it's hard to be successful half the time on the ground. And unfortunately for the Vikings, they allowed a lot of run success. According to Sharp Football, which uh, Warren Sharp's website, he does great work. 
the Vikings were 27th in success rate allowed on the ground, and they were one of the only teams that allowed success on the ground more than half the time in, like, all situations. And on uh, Sharp Football, you can kind of sort through those situations and say, like, oh, well, you know, what if... What if we just took away the quarterback runs? Because sometimes it's more of a pass rushing issue if a quarterback escapes and then runs for a big first down. Or, you know, take away like the jet sweeps. Those are kind of weird gimmick plays like that. Uh, And so I did that and it didn't get a lot better. The Vikings still allowed success about half the time and that's really bad. They still ranked in like the bottom 10. So what's going on? You know, all of their grades on Pro Football Focus, a lot of them have, you know, a lot of the principal defenders have very successful like run defense grades. We can look deeper on uh, sharp football. We can look at, they have the directional success rates, right? Like which lineman did you run behind? And we did this on the other side of the ball, if you recall. Go listen to that one if you want. Uh... And you can look at the same thing on the defensive side of the ball. So, like, running off-tackle left against the Vikings was the worst plan. And that kind of makes sense, right? You're basically running right at Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter. That's probably unwise. Uh, What is surprising is that it was actually more wise to run up the the middle against, like, Linval Joseph and Sharif Floyd. Some of that has to do with the rotational players, Jaleel Johnson and David Perry, and, you know, or Perry when he was here, but Jaleel Johnson and Tom Johnson and some of the guys like Stephen Weatherly that maybe weren't quite as disciplined. But still, there's a huge disconnect between the the production allowed and the actual grading, at least by pro football focus. They graded the Vikings very highly, but the Vikings produced a lot. Now, you could probably write this off and say, oh, well, you know, pro football focus grades, sometimes they're wonky, you know, or I don't like them, so obviously they're just wrong here. But I think that's a lazy way to go about it. I think we can look into this or maybe think, like, okay, say pro pro football focus is right, right? Like, say, like, PFF has watched all the players and they've said, no, these players played well, but the other team got yards anyways. And I think we can think about that situation and ask ourselves, how could that be possible other than, you know, the data being wrong? Like, what if those things are true is there a way that that is actually, like, explainable? And I think the idea that, like, everyone did their job correctly, but the other team still got yards isn't that far-fetched to me. And I think it, it points to scheme a little bit. It points to, you know, a team that maybe wanted to focus a little bit more on defending the pass and not so much on defending the run. And I think that's okay. Like, the defense was very good. We know the defense is very good. We talked about it yesterday in the coverage thing. And everybody on the defense is like, it's a bunch of pro bowlers and superstars and and highly paid players and high draft picks and stuff. Nobody disputes that the defense is good. They were maybe not quite as good as they were in 2017, but that's also like not sustainable and we shouldn't have expected them to be as good as they were in 2017. Like that was clearly a peaking moment and we knew that they would regress a little bit and I don't think they regressed as much as, you know, the data suggested they would, which is a very good thing. But I think it's okay to also be concerned that maybe from a scheme perspective in the run game, the Vikings were getting outcoached. That is not a good look for like Mike Zimmer, who's supposed to be a defensive guru. That said, his background was as a D-backs coach, not linebackers or defensive line. Uh, And, you know, his his kind of claims to fame are coverage and pass rush. Two things that the Vikings are very good at. And if that means that run defense has to be kind of shoddy for that to happen, I'm completely okay with it. I would rather have them, you know, run for four yards and then get a six yard sack than be able to stuff a run play, but then they can convert the third and nine that that results from that. Um, So I, I think I'm okay with the idea that there was a lot of run production. The players on the whole played very well. 
and it just gave up like a whole bunch of success rate. But maybe this also points to success rate being kind of a flawed metric. Now, if you haven't heard about me talk about success rate before, basically it just means did you get enough yards to stay ahead of the chains? So on first down, I think the way Sharp Football does this is on first down, did you get 40% of the yards, which is usually four yards, right? Did you get a four yards on first down, set up a second and six? And then on second down, you need 60%, so you'd need to get four yards again to like be successful on that second and six. That sets up a third and two, and I think everything is like fair so far. And then you need to convert on third and fourth down. So that is like drawing a line in the sand for was this successful and was it not? And then you count up the percentage. DVOA, which is a football outsider's metric, we've talked about it before, has a, a, a more detailed version of kind of the same thought process of like, okay, we want to pay attention to down and distance, right? We want to see, did you stay ahead of the chains? We don't want to give you credit for, say, a six-yard run play, which is a good run play, for, you know, by most standards that happened on third and 13, right? Like we don't care about that play that that play ended up in a punt. That's not a good thing. We don't want to give you credit for that. Uh, And I think both DVOA and success rate talk about that. Uh, But DVOA is much more about comparing what you did to what other teams tend to do in that situation versus comparing what you did versus what you needed to do in that situation. It's a different thought process. And I think it's important to include kind of both ideas. So like, on, you know, third and five from your own 40, here's how teams tended to do, you know, in this game situation and and outdoors, whatever, uh, against this opponent, right? It, it opponent adjusts, which success rate doesn't do. Um, and you know, did you do better than the average team does from that situation? And if so, we'll give you a plus. And if not, we'll give you a minus. So the Vikings ranked 12th in defensive DVOA. That is a lot better than ranking 27th in success rate. So that tells me that the truth might be a little bit more complicated, right? That the Vikings were maybe playing a little bit more situationally and the lines in the sand that success rate draw maybe weren't representing what the Vikings do. And the fact that the PFF grades are higher than both of these kind of tell us, you know, we can probably be a little bit more optimistic. So it it paints a very complex picture when you take all of these stats. And I think part of it too is that we're not very good at measuring the run game. And I think a lot of teams will run plays even in situations where they shouldn't run plays, you know, like second and 10. If you look at success rate and and how you have to get 60% on second down. Well, a run on second and 10 needs to be a six-yard run for that to be seen seen as successful, and that never happens. It, like, very rarely happens. But the Vikings might do it anyways because, you know, they're trying to, like, quote-unquote establish the run or do game theory effects, which I personally don't believe actually happen, but that's beside the point. The Vikings are doing it for a reason other than picking up yards, and therefore they're going to be happy with the result of that play, even though it only picks up two and it sets up a third and eight, which means that when we're trying to project what the Vikings are going to do and who they're happy with and who they aren't, it doesn't really make sense to look just at the success rate because they're evaluating other things. We should kind of look at what they want so that we can, you know, have a better idea of what to forecast. So all of this said, I think the Vikings, it's safe to say a lot of Vikings played well. We're going to go into more individual players on the other side of this ad break here. But by and large, the players we think are good are in fact good. Linval Joseph, very good against the run. Eric Kendricks, very good against the run. Daniil Hunter, very good against the run. The safeties were amazing against the run. So those players were very good. They were very productive. They were getting run stops, which is just a tackle that means that the offense wasn't successful on that play. You know, look at all the unsuccessful plays, all the good ones, you know, by all of these lines in the sand that are drawn by these stats and say, okay, who got those tackles? 
All of the players I just mentioned, excellent in those stats, and the players I didn't mention were pretty good as well. So from a production angle, I think it's safe to say that the Vikings had a pretty good year in run defense. We're going to take an ad break real quick, and when we come back, we'll talk about who did well, who didn't do well, maybe how we can improve in run defense, or even if we have to, and uh, we'll get a lot more into the nitty gritty. So I will see you all in a minute. And we are back. So let's talk a little bit about the individual Vikings and how they did in in uh, run defense. And there's two metrics I want to talk about here. One is run stop percentage. And like I just talked about earlier in the show, you know, a run stop just means that they made a tackle and it constituted a loss for the offense. So if you're getting a nine-yard run on first and ten, that's not going to be a run stop, right? Because the offense had a good play. These are run stuffs, you know, the tackles that that make the next play harder on the defense. And I believe this is measured by expected points added, which is a much more uh, detailed version of kind of the same idea that success rate has. So, but it's like much more like every down and distance has a value and did you improve on your value? So in run stop percentage, in terms of uh, players that played enough, uh, you know, you can kind of say, right, if you played 20% of the run snaps that the Vikings faced on defense, uh, so that, you know, kind of weeds out guys that like only played a snap or two, you know, guys like David Perry, guys that were only on the team for like a game. The most efficient run stopper, I want you to pause the, the show and guess, the most efficient run stopper on a per snap basis was Steven Weatherly with 9.1 run stop percentage. Second place was was Linval Joseph and then Griffin and then Hunter. So you get to kind of some of the 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 like usual suspects, the expected people. But 9.1% for Steven Weatherly, which is amazing because he was a seventh rounder. I mean, he was a very low investment and he's still very cheap and he's still a rotational player, right? Like if you expanded that, it's kind of irresponsible to say, well, if you expanded him and if he was starting, the you know, he would have been the best run stopper on the team. Maybe not, right? Because he's coming in fresh every time and there's a certain kind of quality to that. But still, it's really great to have that kind of rotational piece that can come in on a, a running down, you know, a second and six. And, and you can say, all right, running at Steven Weatherly, probably not a good idea we can still like take things away from the offense even though we're giving you know Daniel Hunter or whoever a rest and everything else kind of lines up you know you see Linval Joseph there you see Griffin you see Hunter Eric Wilson had a very nice game or had a very nice season in in run defense even though he only played 122 snaps so the sample size is small but it was a nice sample and that's really nice because you know coming out of of the draft and falling out of the draft was you know, he had a lot of size questions. He had a lot of physicality questions. So having, you know, run production is really great. The same thing goes for Anthony Harris and uh, even Harrison Smith, you know, in run support, Harris only had four run stops, uh, but he played 269 run snaps and he's coming from the free safety deep position, which is why he has a really, really good PFF grade. And I think that's, you know, they're applying the context that these stats can't apply when, when they do that, because usually Anthony Harris lines up very deep. So when he's coming up to make a run play and that tackle is, you know, short enough where the offense can't call it a good play, that means he is always making a heck of a play. And, and that happened four times. That's why he has a good run, run, defense grade, even though he doesn't have that great of a run stop percentage. Beyond that, you know, on kind of the the lower side of things, Jaleel Johnson probably should have been more efficient. He only got 2.7% uh, run stop. He only had three run stops on the season in 113 snaps. You know, compare that to Eric Wilson, who had nine 
in a very similar amount of action. We saw Xavier Rhodes and Holton Hill both kind of struggle in run support. They weren't very productive at all. Uh, Holton Hill didn't get a single run stop. Xavier Rhodes only had two. But, you know, I mean, they're cornerbacks, right? This isn't their job, so it's not like a huge knock on them, but it's something worth highlighting. And on the flip side of that, Trey Waynes had eight run stops, and he's always been excellent in run support, which, like, for the same reasons, it only matters so much, but still worth highlighting in this The Run Defense episode. And ultimately, you see a lot of players with really nice totals. Again, Eric Kendricks did great. Anthony Barr, not quite as productive as we wish he was for, you know, a strong side. You know, Sam Linebacker is what is what that's called. Only 13 run stops, 4.1 run stop percentage. He actually had a worse run stop percentage than Ben Gedeon. You know, Ben Gedeon was kind of brought in to be a run stopper, though. So perhaps his expectations should be higher, whereas Anthony Barr is more of a like pass rush slash cover slash be rangy. You know, his job is a little different. His his uh, like the things we need from him are a little different. They don't necessarily include that much run defense. Um, and that's really all of the highlights. Sheldon Richardson had a really nice year in in run defense, as we would kind of expect. Tom Johnson is the like steady Eddie that we know he is five point three run stop percentage. So we see. Uh, not that much variety. We see a lot of a lot of good players, a couple of players that I guess we could hope for more from. But all of this kind of supports, you know, in the last segment, we were kind of trying to figure out, all right, we're looking at all this data. Does it mean they were good or does it mean they were bad? When you look at the actual players and then consider their positional context, you know, a guy like Anthony Harris having any production from the free safety position is impressive. A guy like Linval Joseph, we expect him to have more run stops. Lo and behold, he does. He led the team in run, or no, sorry, Daniil Hunter led the team in run stops, which is amazing. But Linval Joseph had 23 run stops. That's a very nice season. Daniil Hunter had 26. That's nuts for an edge rusher. He's just an insane player. And when we get to the pass rush thing, I, that'll probably be next week. We're we're going to really gush over Daniil Hunter. Um, but, you know, you see a picture that is really nice. Now, the other side of this coin, you know, making run stops is great, but the other side of run defense is how good of a tackler are you, right? Like, we can also look at the run stops that were missed or, or you know, just the plays that were missed, the plays left out on the field. You know, who's the best? Who's the worst at tackling? Pro Football Focus has all of this. There were two players that didn't miss a tackle all season in the run or in the pass, uh, and those were the two backup defensive tackles, Tom Johnson and Jaleel Johnson. Uh, now, obviously, there's a sample size thing there, right? Like, Tom Johnson had 13 tackles, Jaleel Johnson had six, and so the fact that they didn't miss any of those is not nearly as impressive as it would have been if they were, like, starting players. Um, you know, we're we're also including passing game tackles here, because at this point, we're just trying to evaluate, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to just say, how good were you only at tackling in the running game? You know, we, we should probably try to evaluate these players as a whole as, you know, how good are you at tackling regardless of whether the ball was thrown or handed off before you got there. So looking deeper into that, the next best tackler on the team is Ben Gideon. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, he's, he was that guy at Michigan. He was a very sound form tackler with, you know, maybe some like athleticism and ranginess problems. Uh, but he is again, a very sound tackler, not particularly productive in terms of, of total tackles. Uh, but when he gets there, he gets you down, and that's pretty good. Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, also both very sound tacklers. That really uh, feeds into the excellent seasons that both of them had. Linval Joseph, obviously, is up there. Holton Hill and Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes, like all the cornerbacks, are reasonable at tackling. And then we get to kind of the bottom half of the team. Now, I still think that, uh, you know, in terms of tackling efficiency, which is what the 
pro football focus name for the stat is, but all that is, is it's the same thing we talked about yesterday in the coverage. It's how many tackle attempts do you go before you miss one? So like how many tackling attempts are between each miss? So like Ben Gideon, 46 tackle attempts between each miss. That's pretty good. A, a, a lesser number is somebody like maybe Holton Hill, 17 between each miss, but that's pr- that's still pretty good, especially for a cornerback that could maybe get run over, you know, when he has to, to go up against like a big running back or a big tight end. Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr both go about 14 between misses. That is not as good as I wish it was. Uh, Daniil Hunter actually missed uh, a solid amount of tackles. He missed six on the season, and that is means he went 10 tackling attempts uh, between each miss. That is, again, not, not what you want for an edge rusher. Uh, not that his season was like bad or anything like that is a very, very, that's very much a drop in the bucket considering all the other things he was able to accomplish. Uh, Everson Griffin falls in the same category, unfortunately. And you actually saw a lot of those misses turn kind of, kind of high profile, uh, and way down at the bottom, you know, the worst tacklers we see, uh, Mike Hughes, Stephen Weatherly and Eric Wilson, all, all backups at this point, I, I would say, you know, going into training camp, Mike Hughes will probably be the backup to Mackenzie Alexander, considering how he finished the season. Um, actually Hughes and Alexander tie in this metric. So I should mention him too, uh, with 6.3 tackles on average, uh, between every miss Eric Wilson five and Steven Weatherly both have about six, uh, miss six tackling attempts per miss. So that means, you know, every that that's like very consistently missing tackles. And that's actually a concern for both of those players, but Hey, they're backups for a reason. Again, on the whole, there's a lot more players with, you know, exciting numbers in this particular stat than concerning ones. And the concerning ones are ones with limited roles anyways. So I I think on the whole, we can kind of look player by player and see, you know, all right, the guys that we care about are as good as we think we are. The backups maybe have problems, but they're backups. There's a little bit of a weird kind of quirk in the production, but ultimately, you know, the production is good. And on the whole, you know, they're better at guarding the pass anyways, and that's more important. So I think on the whole, we can be very, very happy with the run defense. That's a a really long roundabout way to get to a conclusion that you probably already had, but it makes sense. You know, we're going to do this for everything. We're going to look at the things we think we know and verify them, right? Make sure that what we think we can take for granted is actually the truth. And that's what we have really done here. And we've really gone in depth to talk about, you know, the run defense is good, but who's responsible for that? And, you know, if the run defense isn't good in some spots here and there, who's responsible for that? I would say that, like, missed tackles by the edge rushers are maybe responsible for some of the hiccups in run defense that we saw down the stretch. And sometimes shoddy linebacker play, but not that wasn't really a consistent concern, and I don't expect it to be a concern headed in to 2019. So that is going to do it for me today, and that's going to do it for me this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Go vote in the pain bracket if you haven't already, and if you missed the mark, don't worry about it. We're going to be doing this for, like, weeks now, so I can't wait to see what you guys think uh, hurts you the most between the Super Bowls and the NFC Championships and all that stuff. Uh, But that is it for the time that I have. Thank you all so much for listening. I will see you all next week. Hopefully there will be coaching news and stuff. Skull.